Hello and welcome to Cutting In From The Left. I'm your host, Tom Wise, and I've got with me Luis Antonio Streeter. How are you doing, Luis? Hi, Tom. Uh, doing well. Looking forward to another good episode uh, again today. We've now got to the end of the football season. We just have a couple of European Cup games to go. Today, I just wanted to look at the end of the Premier League in a bit of depth, really. There wasn't too much to play for going into the last weekend that we've just had. But there was the fight for European places. Uh, relegation had obviously been settled a long time ago and City had run away with the title. So it was all about who was going to finish in the top four, who was going to get into the Europa League and who was going to be the prestigious UEFA Conference League qualifiers. How are you feeling going into this? Yeah, I think I was pretty confident going into it. Um, Liverpool's record in terms of last day of the season has been pretty good under Klopp in terms of securing results for European football. Uh, for example, I remember that a few years back, there was a um, game where Wijnaldum actually scored uh, to se- help secure a Champions League qualification. I think there was one game against Brighton like that. Um, we had to win to get top four. And I think it always kind of, the maths favoured Liverpool going into it as well in terms of the goal difference. And obviously less having a tough game against Spurs as well. So I feel like it was always going to be likely I feel that Liverpool um, were going to be able to do it but you know obviously you never know until the match itself so it was, it was good to have quite a I'd say overall a pretty comfortable victory and um, also we can get into it a little bit more but I thought Palace offered really very little um, they didn't look they were up to much in general to be honest there was one chance uh, in the first half which Andros Townsend put just wide um, and that was definitely Kind of a self-inflicted chance as well, a pull-back pass. Um, and that was by far Palace's best chance, really. Um, aside from that, I would say Liverpool were, were dominant without being kind of irrepressible or, or particularly impressive, but just really good enough. And you always felt that they would get a goal or two, uh, to be honest. Yeah, they, they did well. Um, like you're saying, yeah, the Townsend chance was the really only only time that Palace looked like putting a smile on Roy Hodgson's face in his last game. The first goal, Robertson corner, they were queuing up at the back post to put it in. I think you had Firmino there, you had Mane there. Mane put it in eventually. And then he got his second goal in the second half, thanks to a deflection off of Gary Cahill. But yeah, um, Liverpool did really well. Like to, to think they ended up finishing third this season, it's, it's insane. You know, I can't quite believe mm-hmm. they, they finished where they are. Yeah, it's really weird to think about when you think about how they were back in March or so. Just a turnaround since then, I think it was, might have been eight wins out of the last 10 games, ultimately. And so that's, you know, obviously by any standards, a brilliant run-in. I think to have that kind of response, especially basically having the whole back end of the season, you know, uh, Nat Phillips and Reese Williams at the back, or, you know, Ozan Kabat could have played a few games as well. And neither of these were sort of certainly at the start of the season stated as being centre-back options for the club. If they were to kind of come in and do that job, be really solid. In particular, I would say Phillips uh, has kind of won over a lot of Liverpool fans almost as a cult hero at that stage. You know, coming through as a young man at the club, he'd been out on loan before to Stuttgart um, and kind of, you know, wasn't really a player slated to, to come into the first team but through his kind of his aerial dominance, some of his bravery, um, kind of blocks, just really, I guess you would call it old school defending. Um, but he's done that really well. He's just helped to maintain and keep the team together. Uh, obviously, in the absence of some more established centre back options, um, and I think you, I don't think you can understate uh, his influence in actually uh, contributing to to that run of form as well. Yeah, he's got all the makings of a real cult hero. Like he's he, he's sort of tough, hard as nails. Like he puts his head in where it hurts. I think I think yeah, he's he's one for the future definitely. He's had a great season. So we left one spot really between uh, Chelsea and Leicester to fight for. Chelsea ended up losing their game with Aston Villa. They dominated the first half an hour, but the the opening goal was Villa's. It it came from a corner. Um, Bertrand Traore bit the hand that used to feed him at Chelsea. It was a really good finish into the top corner of the net. Uh, second goal, uh, Jorginho made a foul on Traore. Traore involved again. It seemed kind of soft for me, but uh, the penalty, mm. was, penalty was given and El Ghazi made it 2-0. Uh, 
on the hour mark, Chelsea had a goal disallowed. This was the, the third time in a week that Timo Werner has had a goal disallowed, which is pretty mad. 70th minute, Pulisic dug out across from the right wing, he found Chilwell on the other side and he made it 2-1. And then Aspilicueta got sent off for an arm in Grealish's face at the end, which was a bit... It was, there wasn't too much in that either, really. But um, yeah, Villa won that game. Not the best preparation for Chelsea, really, going into the Champions League final. Yeah, I guess just to mention as well, as Blikweda sending off, yeah, for me that was really soft. Um, I mean, obviously you can't really make that kind of motion with your with your arm or your hand towards a player's face, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, that that, that was very very soft. Grealish made the most of it, really. I think overall, um, as you say, I mean, a really well worked goal by Villa for their first goal as well, and in general, they looked quite sharp going forward. Uh, Bertrand Schroeder looked pretty good. Obviously, he scored the goal and, and won the penalty as well. And they do have some quite fluid play going forward, so I'm impressed to see some Villa, even if Chelsea perhaps had a lot of the ball and domination in the game. Definitely, you can never count Villa out in that game. And obviously, a great result for them to cap off a brilliant season, really. I don't think they can have any, any complaints going forward. Pretty lacklustre from Chelsea in some ways. As you say, not great preparation for the final. And it'll be interesting to see what the team selection's like for that as well, considering perhaps Tuchel was trying out one or two players who wouldn't ordinarily start, um, but none of them particularly impressive, especially the midfielders. As you say, Jorginho, I mean, long been a bit of a scapegoat for Chelsea fans, to be honest. Um, but I have to say, in general, when I've seen him play, he doesn't impress me because of his lack of physicality in part. I think he's a bit too... I guess you would say ponderous that he's not really assertive or aggressive or dominant enough sometimes. I mean, obviously he's given away the penalty in part, maybe because he hasn't committed himself to a, to a better challenge. There was um, also a chance, I believe in the first half, where John McGinn basically um, sort of runs rushed on over him, just completely out, outmasters him, outpowers both him and, and Ziyech, I believe. Um, and essentially he's just, he's just able to run through like that and have a, have a shot at goal. Sorry, it wasn't Ziyech, it was Kovacic, rather. Um, but yeah, essentially him and Kovacic there in the middle just looked like they lacked a lot of that power and physicality. Um, for example, the kind of awareness and positioning that someone like N'Golo Kante brings to the team. Um, and they lacked the running of someone like Mason Mount, for instance, as well. So I don't think they really fit into what Tuchel's trying to do at the moment. Certainly not Jorginho. I, I wouldn't be too surprised to see him leave. Uh, in the summer, to be honest, I don't really see where he fits in with that team. Um, and I'd, I'd be very surprised to see him start uh, the Champions League final. I think when Kante doesn't play, they do look like a very different team, don't they? But aside aside from Kante not being there, it, I, I was looking at it earlier, it wasn't that different of a team. Like I saw the result and I assumed they'd sort of done what Man United had done and, and played a load of the youngsters. But, you know, it wasn't too far off uh, what you'd say was Chelsea's best team, really. Um, but but yeah, you know they'll uh, they'll try to put this out of their system in time for the uh, Champions League final, um, and then that leaves the Leicester Spurs game. This was this was a crazy game to watch. Um, pretty hard to watch if you're a Leicester fan. Leicester started the scoring for a penalty. Uh, Vardy was fouled by Alderweireld. That was his first goal in over a month. Uh, Spurs then equalised for a Kane volley from around the penalty spot. That was his 23rd goal of the season. Vardy was then fouled again by uh, Sanchez in the box. This one I thought was like quite soft. Like Vardy made sure he got his arms tangled with the defender, like as forwards tend to do now, and, and he won this penalty. He then scored it to make it 2-1. Um, 76 minutes in, there was a Son corner. Schmeichel came for it. He didn't get it. The ball sort of bounced off him as he bounced into the players in the box and went into the net, went down as an own goal for him. Uh, so that was 2-2. Um, and bear in mind, this was a game that like Leicester had to win if they were going to get into the top four. They were attacking and attacking. Spurs managed to break for one of the attack, one of these attacks. Um, Bale, Son and Kane all combined to get the, get the third goal, which was from Bale. And then he got his second as he sort of just drove through the middle of the park. Kane made a great run to open the space. And he sort of plays a one-two with the post unintentionally, I think, and <laughs> taps it into an empty net. Uh, that was a that was a pretty pretty mad result. I, I just I can't believe Leicester have, have bottled the Champions League again, really. 
Yeah, and again, they were coming out. I think I saw the stats with the table in terms of um, number of days spent in a top four position. And Leicester, again, topped that table. I think they topped the table the last two seasons and managed not to qualify with the Champions League either, which is pretty remarkable. Um, I think maybe you don't want to blame Brendan Rodgers for it necessarily, but I think it is a trait that you saw at his time at Liverpool as well, that his teams do fall away a bit sometimes. Perhaps it's due in part to the intensity of the style that they tend to play. Um, obviously, as Leicester, I mean, you saw Vardy, as you say, hadn't scored in a month. Perhaps at his age, getting to him a little bit in terms of, especially this really rigorous calendar this season, they've always had quite a few injury problems. I mean, many teams have uh, this season as well. Um, but yeah, I guess the consolation for them is, of course, I mean, their first ever FA Cup is, you know, I think they can, they'll call that a successful season either way. Um, and I don't think the, the ownership or the fan base will be uh, particularly unhappy about that. And they won't be unhappy with, with Rodgers or the players. You know, it's obviously a magnificent achievement for them. Um, but not to be able to go that extra step and get the Champions League must be you know, a really big frustration for them. And I think it's interesting to talk about them almost in relation to, to Spurs a little bit um, in terms of a club that's obviously massively underperformed their expectations this season. And they're going to need probably, you look at it, maybe a, a complete overhaul. While Leicester are probably going in the right direction and you think, OK, they can add one or two more players in that team. They've got young players coming through. They look pretty well set to challenge again next season. I don't see Tottenham challenging for top four next season. There's a lot changes there. Um, they obviously need the right kind of managerial appointment as well. I saw the off rumour today linking them to Roberto Martinez. I saw that. I don't think I don't think that's that exciting, really, is it? That would be. I'd have to say, on the face of it, a pretty terrible appointment. I, I would have to say, um, given his track record. I, I think they could do a lot better. I, I don't think they will appoint him. I think those kinds of rumours are just kind of floating around at the moment. No one really knows Levy's mind. Um, but certainly, I don't think their fans would be particularly excited um, if he were to turn up Yeah, next season. But I guess, yeah, one point on that as well, in terms of Gareth Bale, obviously, we discussed with the goals. It just makes you wonder. I mean, he's been fit pretty much the whole season, and he's spent a lot of it on the bench and not involved. And when you pay, presumably, they're paying a lot of money in terms of his wages, et cetera, to loan him in for the season, designed to be a bit of a marquee signing and have an impact. And when it's having such a disappointing season, you almost got to wonder, how is Gareth Bale not getting into that team? What's going on there? That Was there some bad blood between him and Mourinho, between him and some others in, at the club? Um, not really fit into their style it just seems like a really odd thing when you've got a team that's struggling to perform so much throughout so much of the season and you've got this you know proven world-class player obviously kind of been in and out and had his injury troubles and all of the issues at Real Madrid on the weekend he showed it showed his quality so yeah it just strikes you as really surprising that you wouldn't give him more of a chance and now obviously you know he's heading back uh, to Madrid so he won't be able to, to utilize his talents next season um but yeah, and obviously with the rumours that the Harry Kane might be set to leave, it's going to be a lot of headaches for for Tottenham in terms of how they uh, look at rebuilding their squad for next season. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think Leicester will be pretty content with their FA Cup win this year. They are eventually. Let's be honest, they are going to get into the Champions League because they deserve it, and their squad's pretty amazing. But uh, they just fell short this this time. Uh, Spurs is yeah, it, like you say, it's a much bigger task for whoever comes in there. Um, Mason is pretty sure that he won't be the bloke like to take him forward. Really strange season for them. You, you wonder still if they hadn't sacked Mourinho during the the League Cup final week, whether they would have fared better in that final. Maybe maybe they would have, maybe they wouldn't have. But it, it just sort of the season was pretty much ended from that point onwards for them. And um, and we'll see what happens with the Kane saga over the summer. The best club this season in England was undoubtedly Manchester City. Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about their last game of the season and their absolute drubbing of Everton five 0 Don't think Ancelotti had ever. I don't. I think this was his record record defeat as a club manager, which is which is pretty uh, pretty impressive. But yeah, they they played so well. 
the first goal, it was like Mares to De Bruyne, De Bruyne outside the box, curls it lovely into the corner. Uh, 2-0 after 14 minutes. Michael Keane, big Mick Keane, I'm not quite sure what he was doing, running into trouble on the halfway line. City turned the ball over and Jesus is there to put it in. Um, then there's a, an Everton penalty. Uh, Ruben Diaz uh, fouls Richarlison in the box. Sigurdsson steps up to take the penalty. His record of four goals from four penalties this season suggests confidence, but Edison makes the save to keep it a 2-0. Uh, Foden made it three in the second half. And then you had Sergio Aguero coming on for the last half hour of the game. Uh, a bit strange that he didn't start this, his last league game. Although I think, did, did Pep say something like he, he gave him the option and Sergio didn't want to start it or something like that? That's apparently what happened. Um, yeah. yeah that, seems a little bit odd. But... Yeah, I mean, it has to be, surely. I mean, Pep hasn't treated him that well since he's been there, but surely he would have uh, wanted him to start this. But anyway, he comes on, half an hour to play. He gets a goal about 11 minutes later. Uh, this makes him equal with Rooney's record of 103 um, Premier League goals for one club. Fernandinho won the ball and that first goal was just beautiful, like outside of the foot. I loved it. Uh, and then the second goal, Fernandinho somehow out on the wing puts in this amazing ball and Aguero heads it home and that's 5-0. What a way for a Premier League legend to, to bow out of, the, of this league. Uh, yeah, um, it just showed really just how good Man City have been this season. If it needed it to be showed again. Yeah, their goals in, in general were just so impressive. I love their first goal. Some of the interplay there and obviously a great finish from De Bruyne. I thought the fun thing about Aguero's first goal is that I don't think Everton were letting him score, but I think the defending was almost indistinguishable <laughs> from if they were. I mean, it was truly just appalling defending. Obviously a great finish from, from him. Good technique. Um, but yeah, I think at that point, Everton had just given up. And I think it was partly sort of the weight of the occasion. Obviously, they didn't really have too much to play for themselves. Man City were always going to be super motivated, um, in particular, you know, to honor Aguero's last game. Great confidence having their fans back to celebrate their title win. Um, so it was that air of inevitability, I think, around the whole match that you never really thought Everton were going to have much of a chance, to be honest. Um, and yeah, they, they seem to roll over a little bit. So it was a bit of a procession, really. But yeah, a fitting way to, to say goodbye to, to Aguero has definitely been you know, one of the best players in, in Premier League history um, and shown by his immense goal-scoring tally. I think Man City will be delighted with that as well in terms of going into the Champions League final, especially seeing that the Chelsea themselves have had sort of a bit of a troubled game and some injuries and obviously, you know, Will Mendy be able to start as well? And Man City seems to be going into it, to be honest, with pretty much a, a full squad at their disposal. They've been able to give some other players a run out to give them match fitness as well. Uh, likes of perhaps Sterling, who hasn't been starting as much, um, but was able to play. Uh, they all look fit and firing. And yeah, perfect preparation, really, going into, going into the final. They were just insane. Um... Aguero, I think he's now, his record in the Premier League is 108 minutes per goal, which puts him top of anybody that's scored at least 50 goals in the Premier League. Um, just seeing that table and with him at the top of it, like he's he's been so good. And uh, I think on City's Twitter account, they tweeted the photo of like, um, like started here and left here sort of thing. And the amount of trophies he's won, like it's just insane. He, he's pretty much been there for all of City's recent success. And He's, he's won so many things. And is, I think he is he off to Barcelona next, is what they're saying? I believe that's meant to be pretty much confirmed. Um, so, yeah, interesting to see how he does that. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, that sort of makes you think that, like, this summer Messi will stay there. But I understand that's going to be up in the air a little bit again. I mean, it'd be pretty terrible if he went there to play with Messi and then Messi <laughs> somehow <laughs> moved to PSG or something like that. Yeah, I think um, the Barcelona soap opera will continue again this summer. Um, so I'm sure there'll be some, some shenanigans. Um, and they've been talking about that there might be up to 15 players up for sale, like including you know established first team players like Pique and Busquets. So that could be a, a bit of a fun team to come into for Aguero. Champions League final, City Chelsea at the weekend. It's almost. It's almost a game that I could see Chelsea grinding out, even even after all we've just said about City being amazing this weekend, and and um, 
and Chelsea being sort of abject. I just there's something about Tuchel that since he's been in, been at Chelsea, I just I kind of I kind of got the feeling they might do it, but I do accept that Mendy's not fit. Kepper Kepper's not much of a keeper, so it could all go to the wall. But yeah, I I really don't know. I've got a weird feeling Chelsea might do it. I do see what you mean, and I think um, because everyone's expecting Man City to do it, and they have that pressure of never having won it before. Uh, Guardiola really wants to prove that he can win it at Man City. Maybe that gets to them a little bit, and maybe Chelsea as an underdog can go in there and just um, kind of you know upset the apple cart a bit. So I think, yeah, I definitely think it could be a closer game um, than people might think, uh, based on as we say, for example, their form going into the match. And yeah, I think they definitely have an outside chance of uh, sneaking the win. I'll just go through the rest of the Premier League results. Uh, West Ham beat Southampton 3-0. Uh, this put West Ham into the Europa League with Leicester. A really youthful Man United team beat Wolves away 2-1. 19-year-old Anthony Elanga scored on his second Manchester United appearance. Uh, he's a young Swedish international, so might see a bit more of him next season. Leeds beat West Brom 3-1. Bamford got his 17th Premier League goal of the season and somehow still hasn't got into the England squad, but we will get onto that. Arsenal beat Brighton 2-0. Pepe is ending the season like a madman. He got two more goals, five goals in his last three games now. So I guess he's starting to pay a little bit of that massive transfer feedback. Maybe next season could be the year that he really kicks on. Fulham lost their final Premier League game for a while to Newcastle 2-0. Uh, Joe Willock scored to and he equaled Alan Shearer's record of seven goals in a row in, in seven games for Newcastle. He's He's been absolutely unbelievable. And then finally, Sheffield United won against Burnley 1-0. Uh, David McGoldrick got his eighth Premier League goal of the season. And little stat, that is more than any Chelsea player got this season. So, yeah. <laughs> any, anything you want to add on any of them? Obviously, West Ham, great achievement for them this season, uh, getting that Europa League football as well. And yeah, I thought from what I saw of that game, they looked, they looked impressive again. Their play going forward uh, for now of Antonio. For now, I was getting a couple of goals, I think, for the first time since 2016, I believe they said. But in general, yeah, I think I was really impressed with their kind of their attacking play. Uh, Sufalo. Some great overlapping from him on the right-hand side as well. And I think, you know, if they can keep that kind of quarter squad together, I guess the most likely to leave would be Declan Rice, potentially. But if they can really kind of keep that together, keep Moyes there back in perhaps of a, of a couple of new signings, you could see them challenge, I think, again for, for Champions League. Though I think, you know, I love to predict too much of West Ham because they do seem to be one of the most unpredictable teams in the league in general. They can kind of veer from extreme to extreme. But yeah, I think they'll be delighted with I believe their uh, record Premier League points total this season. And apart from that, I think obviously you have Leeds as well in a similar boat with a really impressive uh, performance uh, overall this match and kind of overall this season. I think I read they had the 19th largest wage bill in the league and having finished, you know, really comfortably mid-table, looking up more upper mid-table than, than down at the relegation zone. Um yeah, I think Bielsa has really shown that he can that he can do the business in his division. And, you know, some, some previously quite maligned players, obviously you mentioned Bamford, who've been able to step up to this level. I mean, the people who thought Bamford wasn't good enough for the championship a couple of seasons ago, let alone be able to be, a, you know, a player who can score 17 goals in the Premier League. Um, so he must be, I think, delighted to kind of prove some of his critics wrong. Uh, Rodrigo finishing the season strongly. I think three goals in his last three games. So yeah, there's a great foundation there for Leeds to build upon. And it looks like Bielsa is staying for at least one more season. It's a little bit rare for him. He tends to leave clubs uh, quite quickly, um, but he's, he must be enjoying his time there. And I think you know, obviously, the whole club and whole city arguably has really taken to him. So it's nice to see the fans be able to get to see um, see Leeds back in action on the uh, on the last day of the season as well. You know, they haven't done that for, for 17 years.
let's take a flight to Spain. This weekend, it was the battle between Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid over who won the Spanish title. Going into the weekend, Atleti were on 83 points and Real were on 81 points. So two points difference between the uh, Madrid rivals. Basically, if Atletico dropped points, then Real were going to be there to, to try and usurp them to first position. Um, Atletico had to go to Real Valladolid and Real were at home to Villarreal. Um, Real Valladolid took the lead against Atletico as Villarreal took the lead against Real Madrid. It took until the second half for Atletico to get the equaliser through Angel Correa. A really good goal, some sort of some neat footwork in a really crowded area on the edge of the box before he sort of toe-poked it into the corner. Um, rather the lead, they needed to win themselves to stay in the Spanish top flight, so they were pushing quite hard in the, uh, later in the game. But they incidentally handed it to Atletico by a terrible back pass uh, from Sergi Guardiola, and he put Suarez through on goal, and he neatly finished to make it 2-1. Valladolid had a chance to level the game in the 90th minute, um, and that would have handed Real the title. But Sergi Guardiola again, he fluffed his lines and sort of blasted the shot over with his left foot, and Atletico won, which meant that Real's uh, 2-1 win against Villarreal was uh, was pointless, really. Um, as I say, they went behind, but they didn't equalise until the 87th minute, uh, and then Modric got the winner in injury time. So they won 2-1, Atletico won 2-1, Atletico are champions. Yeah, it was nice to see them win the title, I think. Um... There'd been a period when they were sort of fairly far ahead, seemed quite dominant, but then they perhaps tripped up a little bit. Um, so you always had that feeling that maybe they were going to bottle it. But then they managed to pull it out in the end. Not a particularly impressive performance for a lot of the game. They used to say a lovely goal for Manuel Correa. And then, you know, I mean, the story of the season in many ways had been Suarez in terms of obviously moving from, from Barcelona where he felt underappreciated. And then, you know, signing for Atletico and, and helping to inspire them to the league title. So it's a real kind of kick in the face against for the uh, Barcelona hierarchy there. Um, but yeah, he's shown he's definitely can still can still do it at the top level. And yeah, I think the fans uh, were gathering outside the stadium throughout the match. And I'm sure some great celebrations there for them. First league title win since 13-14, I believe. Which had just, just pipped up the post a little bit. Um, but considering as well some of their form earlier in the season, I expect to finish two points off the title. It's not a terrible result for them. And it's something they can build off uh, a little bit more than perhaps Barcelona, who are a little bit further behind and perhaps have a bit more internal turmoil to deal with at the moment. So I dare say both clubs need a little bit of a shake up. It's interesting that uh, Real couldn't even get one one Spanish player in the Spanish squad could they for the for the Euros I mean that, that is pretty mad obviously Sergio Ramos would be the one that you think of but he's barely played this year and the game that we all saw him play recently against Chelsea I don't think he was he was doing anything to convince anybody that he deserves to be going to the Euros um, yeah like what do, you, what do you think do you think Real and Barcelona will have to have a couple of years in the wilderness or will they come back next year stronger well, it's a bit surreal, as you say, to see Brighton with more players in the Spain squad than Real Madrid. Um, so even putting aside Ramos, I mean, obviously the likes of Isco and Asensio have been established as Spanish national team players. And, you know, a lot, some of that's down to fitness troubles and injuries that they've had. Um, but in general, yeah, it is weird to see that they didn't have that strong Spanish core at the moment, perhaps, um, that you would expect them to. Uh, I think, yeah, both sides definitely need to rebuild a bit. Um, but I think, obviously, with the money that they have at their disposal, that financial advantage compared to the other sides in Spain, that does give them a leg up, even if they kind of make bad decisions or run poorly at certain points, that does offer them a significant advantage, which makes it really unlikely for them to, for example, fall out of the top four. And you can see they're already starting to make moves. I mean, we talked about Aguero uh, to Barcelona. I think Alaba to Real Madrid is pretty much confirmed as well. Um, so I think they're looking certainly to make those kind of big free transfers and I guess slightly cheaper signings. I think Memphis Depay is rumoured to be on his way to Barcelona as well. Um, so they're looking to kind of pick up those deals, I suspect, because they will want to trim 
some of the rest of their squad. Uh, as mentioned, Barcelona have quite a few players up for sale. I think Real Madrid might be similar, and probably in both cases a little bit of a rebuild. But, but also, I think they'll be looking to do it in a manner which isn't too expensive, um, because I think both clubs, obviously, we'll kind of talk about it in the context of the Super League, um, but in particular Barcelona have some very well-reported financial issues. So I suspect they'll be wanting to do things uh, in a way that can kind of satisfy the requirements of the fans on the pitch, but also the, satisfy the requirements of their uh, of their debt holders. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how they, they thread that needle. We'll move on again to Germany this time. The great end of the season that Bayern had and uh, their main man, Robert Lewandowski. They had their final game at the weekend. They beat Augsburg 5-2. Uh, this is crazy. I'd never seen a goalkeeper make so many saves and have the game of his life and yet still let five goals in. Like, like Bayern, Bayern ran absolute riot. It was 4-0 at half-time. Uh, one for Gnabry, one for Kimmich, which was a great goal from outside the box. It took until the 90th minute for Lewandowski to get his goal. It was it had so many chances during the game, and the keeper thwarted him at all all times. But he got his goal in the 90th minute, which was a tap in after the keeper had spilled Leroy Sane effort. So this meant that he got 41 goals in the Bundesliga this season, which beats Gerd Müller's record. Of 40 goals in a single season, um, which had stood for 49 years. So it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, it's phenomenal. I don't think you can really, um, again, kind of overstate how superb his goal scoring record is in general. Um, I think kind of some of in the Bayern hierarchy, I think Honus, for example, came out and said he's better than Messi and Ronaldo at the moment. I don't think you can really disagree with that. Uh, just in terms of the, the pure goal-scoring abilities, instincts are remarkable. He scores all kinds of goals. Um, you can do it with both feet. Obviously, such a threat in the air as well. Yeah, it's a real shame for him to miss out on the uh, on the Ballon d'Or, which didn't didn't occur, I guess, last year. But surely he'll be on the running for the next one as well, assuming that that goes ahead. Um, and so, yeah, I think. He's obviously been kind of the key to, to Bayern, just really outscoring the whole uh, the whole opposition this season. Um, because they conceded 44 goals, which is 12 more than Leipzig. Um, but they scored 99, which is just astonishing. I mean, it just shows the, the attacking firepower. Uh, just really blew away the rest of the league. Um, and that kind of title challenge that threatened to happen maybe two, three months ago, I mean, Leipzig lost their last, lost uh, three of their last five, um, so they really fell away. I think they just felt a certain point that they were giving up, perhaps a little bit demoralised. Uh, their score just can't really quite stand up to the power of Bayern at the moment. And Dortmund finished the season strongly, but have had their own really rough patch, sort of mid-season. And yeah, it'll take an immense effort from either of those two teams to really be able to to match Bayern and, and look to challenge them next season. And I guess to say a little bit more about the rest of the league, um, we obviously haven't discussed it too much in general. Um, but Union Berlin did really well. They've secured a seventh place. I believe that grants some entry to the Europa Conference League as well. Uh, so quite nice to see that really uh, in a traditional working class club and not someone you know with a big budget. Uh, their fans get some success there as well. And I guess it just shows the... Um, the overall success of the, of the Bundesliga, I think there's obviously an issue with the lack of competition at the uh, at the very top of the table, Bayern being so dominant. But the fact that you have um, Werder Bremen and Schalke both getting relegated in the same season, so is it really no one's safe? I guess the big one was Hamburg a couple of seasons ago, who've never gone down as well. And they're still stuck in, in the second division. Um, so it's kind of nice in a way to be able to see 
those two big clubs go down and know that's a possibility for really pretty much all the clubs in the league apart from Bayern and it happened to them as well. Just show some of the competition there further down um, the table. They see it, just a, a shout out to it, to Schalke's minus 61 goal difference and 16 points for the season. One of the most appalling seasons from the club in any big European league and especially for a club which was in the Champions League what, maybe half a decade, a decade ago. I remember they got to um, the quarterfinals as well. They had the likes of, of Sane coming through at that time. They had Raul after he left uh, Real Madrid as well. Neuer was, was in Galway, yeah. I think. And now to see them, yeah, at that point is um, quite a departure. Yeah, it's true about the bigger, the bigger or the richer clubs, you know, not always being safe because even... Uh, Hertha Berlin as well. They they barely escaped uh, relegation mm. or, or the relegation playoff, and and their owner he's invested millions and millions. Um, I think he spent something like two hundred and fifty million dollars last year or, or something like that. Like for a club, I think they want to be like this sort of hip, cool Berlin club that hasn't really you know Union Berlin's doing a much better job of it with much less money, and and Hertha very nearly got relegated themselves this year. So it, it is a crazy league. England squad has been announced, or a provisional England squad has been announced. Southgate can't quite make his mind up yet on what he wants his final 26 to be. Um, granted, he has got a few of his boys playing this week in either the Europa League or the UEFA Champions League final. And there is a few with sort of niggly injuries and didn't want to make his uh, final judgment until he had to. I think he's got until the 1st of June, maybe, to submit his uh, his 26. So he's, he's picked mm-hmm. a squad. He, he's picked a bigger squad. He's picked a, a provisional 33 for now. I guess the main talking points are the fact that there's no Patrick Bamford. Now, as I was saying earlier, he's been having the season of his life. After Kane, there's no Englishman that scored more in the Premier League than him. He's been left out. Uh, James Madison's been left out. Other than that, I don't think I don't think there's too many uh, too many strange calls. What do you think? Yeah, I think Bamford's just really unlucky um, that there are so many other good attacking players that England have at the moment. I think if you look at I don't know seasons gone by, 2006 or 2010, etc. If you saw a player with Bamford's scoring record in the Premier League, there's absolutely zero doubt that he would be one of the strikers picked. I mean, England picked strikers at that time with far worse scoring records in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, a little bit unfortunate for him. Please for Ollie Watkins. So, I think he's someone who's really impressed me this season with Villa. He's made the step up. And I guess thinking with him as well, he probably offers a little bit more than Bamford in terms of his hold-up play. Um, some of the stuff off the ball, um, as opposed to, I guess, Bamford, more of a, a pure goal scorer. But I guess not really too much between them. Yeah, I think, I guess the other potentially notable omission is Aaron Wambasaka. But I think it's just one of those positions, again, England have so many players at right back. And you're already talking about the players in the team there. They're going to have to cut surely at least one of them in terms of Alexander-Arnold, Walker, James and Trippier. Um, as well, you've got Ben Godfrey, who also has played right back among other positions. And yeah, it just shows the strength and depth you have there. I think you can definitely see one or two players who I guess it would be extremely unlikely to see them in the full squad. I think that's probably Ben White. Um, I would say likely Connor Cody as well. Um, and obviously one of the goalkeepers has to be removed as well. You can kind of see a little, couple of the other players who might be trimmed too, potentially Bukayo Saka um, and, and Ollie Watkins as mentioned. So I don't think there'll be too many tough decisions for Southgate, actually. But I think the ones that there will be will be a couple of key ones, potentially, I guess, around, as I said, the right-back position. I suspect it will either be Alexander-Arnold or Trippier who misses out. 
So quite frankly, they've been in some ways similar kind of skill sets, um, both really good crosses, passes, uh, set pieces as well. Um, well, I guess you would say Reese James is, is more of that athletic side um, and really power and pace as well. Though obviously being a good crosser himself too, um, but not as so much of a set piece for it either. And then Kyle Walker, I think it is, is a definite, I mean, given the fact that he mainly plays centre-back for England as well, I don't think there's any doubt that he'll be there. Um, but yeah, I guess that would be the one big talking point in a decision made there. Potentially about one or two of the midfield players as well. It'd be interesting to see, for example, with Jude Bellingham or Ward Prowse um, going to make it in there as well. Um, I suspect Rice and Phillips will go. And the other one, I suspect Lingard will go as well. Um, but I think Henderson might just be a little bit of a doubt because of the fitness situation. He obviously hasn't played in quite a while. Uh, but I think Southgate seems quite confident that he can play him in those two warm-up games, get him back to speed. And obviously, if you're able to have him in the team, you definitely want to bring him. Um, so I think he will kind of make it in there, especially since they've got the 26 players now. They can probably afford to have one player as a little bit of a of an injury risk. Apart from that, yeah, I don't know what you think in terms of any surprise choices that that Southgate may end up leaving out. I think it's interesting what you say about the right backs because I think I think Reese James is probably the least likely to go. I feel like it's really it'd be really hard on Trippier to to leave him out after playing in so many games in a in a title winning team in Spain. Mm. And I feel I feel like Trent is just Trent has done some pretty amazing things over the last few years, and I think I'd always have to bring him. But yeah, you're probably right. Walker's gonna gonna be the starter. Um, I'm sort of thinking of my starting eleven almost in my head, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking Pickford in goal, obviously, um, Walker, uh, Maguire if he's fixed. Obviously, there's a doubt on him as well. We'll see whether whether mm. he makes it. But ideally, Maguire and Stones with short left back, um, midfield three of Mount Rice, and I, I would have Henderson if Henderson had played a full season. If Henderson was fit, so there's still question marks about him. But if Henderson's not fit, then I think I'd have maybe Bellingham in, in there with him, with them too. So Bellingham, Mount and Rice. And then my front three, I'd have, I think you have to have one sort of player that is like a Grealish or a Foden on one wing and then one very sort of pacey lad on the other side. So I'll go for Foden on the left and maybe Sterling on the right with Kane in the middle. Like, I think that's what I'm thinking top of my head. Like, what, what do you reckon? Is that going to be far off? I guess it depends whether he wants to stick with three at the back or four at the back. Um, he kind of played around a little bit with both. So you see, I think four, three, three makes sense if he wants to go four at the back. Um, you really want to utilise some of those wide players and attacking mids um, that England do have and kind of have Kane there as a focal point to build around as well. Otherwise, I suppose three at the back, potentially looking at a at a three four three more kind of that system. Yeah, it's interesting that you say Jude Bellingham as well. I wonder if um he'll be helped out a little bit by he had, a, he had a good run of form towards the end of the season, playing a bit more for Dortmund. Um, perhaps even kind of a good link up with, with Jaden Sancho as well, who I think is um perhaps still even underrated a little bit by people in the UK who probably don't see Dortmund play. Uh, week in, week out in general. Um, but certainly I would say Sancho's been on better form than, for example, Raheem Sterling this season. So I think he'll be well worth a start. As you say, it's good to have that genuine pace in the team because that always scares teams. As much as you want to have Foden and Grealish on the pitch, you probably only want to start with one of them. And then maybe you look at bringing the other one on to be able to change the game. I guess, yeah, you, you do have kind of players who fit into certain categories of what you want to do. Try to suspect is how Southgate will look at it as well. In terms of you have Harry Kane, who's clearly the number one choice up front, and you've got Calvert Lewin who can come in and do overall a not dissimilar thing to him. Uh, if you have to have him come off the bench for him, um, potentially if you pick Watkins as well, he can do something similar as well. And then on the pacier side, you've got the likes of Rashford, Sterling, uh, Greenwood, and, and Sancho. And then for that more creativity, you have Foden and Grealish who can kind of rotate in that role. Um, 
be interesting where that leaves um, Jesse Lingard as well. So obviously, we've been talking a bit a bit on the show about how how impressive he's been this season, and he's a player that I think you know Southgate has trusted him in the past, and he's rewarded him in the, in the World Cup. So maybe he goes with, with a player that he that he knows a bit better. Um, and he decides, you know, Lingard's in great form. Why not play him? Um, but then maybe you you can fit Lingard and and one of Foden or Grealish into the same team. It probably also depends who you're playing. So maybe you go a slightly more attacking lineup against Scotland, um, a little bit more reserved against likes of Croatia, perhaps. Yeah, but I think England do definitely have a lot of options, which is good to see. And yeah, I, I actually suspect they'll play three at the back. It'll be interesting to see if they maybe swap that around and even play three at the back in one game and four at the back in another during the tournament. And I've already been looking at the route to the final when uh, when England obviously win and it comes home. And um, I've got England playing France, I think, in the first knockout round game. Um, I think that that obviously depends on where France finishes in their group. But I think I had Portugal winning their group, and so yeah, that would be a that would be the biggest test. I think I think I think Portugal and I think France are, are two really good squads. Um, other than that, I'd, I'd probably put England third, like not trying to preempt anything. But I really like I really like seeing this squad, and I've seen I've seen what Spain have seen what Germany have I've seen what Belgium have and I I don't know it doesn't it doesn't scare me that much famous last words (laughs) yeah in terms of pure quality I don't think any of those squads I would say even France have much of an edge on England I mean maybe one area you look at his keeper I mean Pickford's a good keeper but um I wouldn't say he's at that top world-class level and has that big tournament good game experience in the same way as someone like for example Hugo Lloris for, for France which may be a thing that, that potentially might cost England in the odd situation um, I think if Maguire is missing through injury then that creates a bit of a problem at centre-back and in the defence as well but I think certainly going forward as long as Southgate doesn't kind of artificially hinder or limit what the players can do going forward Kind of force them to be too cautious. I think there's no reason England can't be one of, if not the most threatening attacking side in the tournament. Lastly, Europa League final on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Man United versus Inayamari Villarreal. Uh, they've played each other four times previously, all which have ended nil-nil. So it's not a very good omen for the, for the game. Um, one that I actually remembered, I don't know if you remember this, uh, it was September 2005. Wayne Rooney got a book in, which he didn't agree with, uh, and he, so he clapped the referee in the face and instantly got a second book in, book in and was sent off. And that was a famous Wayne Rooney, like out of control young player moment that I can't really forget. But I doubt I doubt we'll be seeing any of that this week. Um, looks like Maguire will be out for this. So Bailly and Lindelof will probably start for United. Other than that, they haven't really got any injury concerns. They played a lot of their kids, as we said at the weekend, so everyone should be fit. And in terms of Villarreal squad selection, it's a battle between Francis Coquelin and Etienne Capoue two Premier League legends over who will get to play in the midfield with Danny Parejo. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what will happen for, for this game. Yeah, and let's hope it's not a no-no again. Um, but yeah, it should be interesting to see. I think obviously Emery has the edge in terms of having the experience of, um, of being in the final, well, I think most times of any manager now, potentially, um, and looking to win it for a record fourth time, I believe. Um, so he's definitely got that experience there and in general I would say I've been quite impressed with his tactics um, in terms of knockout round games in general Um, obviously he's known as a bit of an expert in that he's able to kind of play that that tactical game and kind of outfoxed a few opponents already this season Uh, I guess the concern for him would be the last um, Europa League final with Arsenal obviously where they were pummeled by, by Chelsea they would be hoping that there won't be a repeat of that. A great opportunity, I guess, for Solskjaer to be able to 
kind of step up and, and win a final of his own. I'm sure they'll be well motivated for that. Uh, Maguire will be a big loss for them. Um, should be interesting to see how you say it, if Baye comes in, uh, will be able to maintain that defensive solidity. I suspect they'll still probably have enough to beat Villarreal. Um, will be my prediction. But yeah, I think the loss of Maguire does does hurt them quite a bit. Yeah, in terms of uh, Villarreal's threat, it's all about Ger- Gerard Moreno. Um, he's been he's been pretty great again this season. He's he's got twenty nine goals, all competitions. So I think if United can shut him up, then then they should be all right. But yeah, I I quite like uh, I quite like United to do it really just for Solskjaer, just so it can be like okay, like they finished second, they won the Europa League, like. We can we can finally give him a bit of credit now. You know he's sort of stepping he's stepping away from the from the PE teachers like Arteta and like Lampard. Like we can we can start to say Solskjaer is uh, is is doing something. You know. Yeah, I mean to be honest, I think uh, I hate to say this, but he, he comes across quite well in general. I think he is generally kind of a real club man. Like he he has generally love and affection for the club, um, which you see, and perhaps at first. He let that kind of overawe him a little bit. I think there was that whole story that he didn't want to use Ferguson's old parking space or his old office or something. It's like that's not really the right mentality that you want to send. You know, you want to prove that you're your own manager and your own man, not be ringing Fergie asking for tips all the time. Um, but I think he's grown into it a lot more. Um, and yeah, it definitely shows kind of his love for the club. And I'm sure um, the fans will definitely love him for, for a second place finish and uh, a Europa League win. They can pull that off this season. Um, so, yeah, I think the positives for, ne- for next season as well, they'll be really looking forward uh, to that, I think. Um, and, yeah, I could definitely see them challenging for the title next season too. Yeah, yeah, it'll be an interesting one. But we have a summer of the Euros first before we can start talking about all that stuff. Um, <laughs> Not right. to forget the Copa America as well. Yeah, Copa America, we'll have to squeeze that in as well. Thank you for coming on, Luis. That was that was really good. Uh, thanks again, Tom. Loved it as usual. Yeah, and we'll be we'll hopefully be back with some Euros related chat in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. 